0: We're continuing in our uh, series in Genesis, and uh, we're taking the first three chapters as I mentioned last week we're probably not going to do every single chapter in in uh, the book of Genesis just from here we'll hit some highlights but uh, we we especially wanted to go through the first three chapters because that's so important uh, in establishing where we are uh, as Christians today uh, and how we got there and so so today uh, we'll be talking about the fall, chapter 3, how it is, how it is. Um, we've all heard the phrase, <clears throat> all good things must come to an end. Uh, in, you know, in life, that, that's often true, uh, like vacations. You know, vacations are great, aren't they? But they can't last forever. Uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to afford it, for one thing, and and we really wouldn't want it a vacation to last forever. I mean, camping is... You know that's a lot of fun for a few days, sleeping out in the wilderness and and uh, on the ground or whatever. Uh, but after about a week of that, you know, you, you're ready to get back to your comfortable, warm bed, right? I sure am. Uh, there are many Christmas songs that we sing during the Christmas season that that talk about, boy, it would be great to have Christmas all through the year. Uh, and uh, maybe we've wished that sometime, but. <clears throat> Uh, and while the, the Christmas spirit, you know, benevolence and a spiritual reflection should last all year, um, you know, that Christmas tree is going to start looking pretty rough around June and July if, if we keep that, especially if it's a living one, uh, keep that in our living room. And, and, you know, after a while, after about February, we're going to be sick of Bing Crosby and White Christmas. So it's a good thing Christmas doesn't last forever. Uh, it's special just that one time of the year. Special and happy t- times in our lives come and go, but they, they don't all last forever. They usually don't last forever. Last week, we, we talked about the paradise that God had created in the Garden of Eden and had given Adam and Eve to live in. It was a wonderful, beautiful place, pleasing to the eye, with lots and lots of delicious food to eat that you really didn't have to work for it was just there for you all the time um <clears throat> uh, adam and eve had had a, a a close personal relationship with with god that included walks in the garden together uh, in the middle of this wonderful garden was planted a beautiful tree that that god called the tree of life uh, uh, the purpose of this tree was to allow Adam and Eve to live and enjoy the Garden of Eve Eden forever. Uh, the perfect garden and their perfect relationship with God was meant to last forever. You know, it was truly a good thing that could actually last forever. Something that uh, you would never get tired of, never get bored with. Sometimes good things in our lives end because it's just time for them to end, like vacation and Christmas. Uh, But sometimes good things end because our behavior causes it to end, our bad behavior. You know, have you ever uh, been having one of those enjoyable conversations with someone, uh, like your spouse or your your child or a friend, and, and one of you suddenly says something inappropriate Uh, An insult, uh, an uncalled-for harsh word, uh, a a sarcasm that hurts your feelings or or hurts their feelings. And just like that, the pleasant, enjoyable conversation is over. (laughs) It's over. It turns ugly. There's crying, there's anger, there's disappointment. The good moment just falls apart because someone had bad behavior. And caused it. Uh, and, and if you were the one that behaved badly, you're the one that said the inappropriate thing. You know, the very moment the, those words came out of your mouth, that this good moment is going south. Bad behavior destroys good things uh, for yourself and for others. And that's certainly what happened in the Garden of Eden. Let's look at Genesis 3, verse 1 through 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, You may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Now, whenever you've read this this, uh, series of verses, let me ask you, have you ever thought a talking snake, now, snakes don't talk. Now, let's be honest with each other this morning. Our Western mind sort of balks at that, doesn't it? The idea of a talking snake and the fact that Eve doesn't even seem to be alarmed or concerned about that at all. (laughs) That a snake is speaking to her, I'll tell you why. My first response, if it had been me, wouldn't have been to what the snake said. It would have been to the fact that the snake said something. <laughs> so, for any one of you who, who've always wondered about that, the talking snake, let's let's talk about it a minute. You know, if we trust the text, uh, it's really not that difficult to imagine. <clears throat> You know, Satan has always had the ability to possess things. Um, We see him, uh, or one of his demons, possess many in the New Testament. Uh, For example, in Mark chapter 5, we see a man who is possessed by a demon named Legion. Uh, And he's named that because there are many demons inside of this man. Uh, Jesus drives Legion and all of his fellow demons out of this man and into a herd of pigs. Uh, and then the pigs all run down off the cliff into the lake and they all drown. Now, if a demon can possess and speak through a man, which this demon did, and can possess wild animals like pigs, you know, there's no reason to think that, that, that Satan or demons could also speak through an animal. So, I mean, Satan can do those kind of things. <clears throat> Now, why wasn't Eve troubled by the the speaking snake? I certainly would have been. Why wasn't she? Well, there's no way of knowing for sure, but, you know, animals were brand new. All of them were new, just like she was new. Uh, Maybe she hadn't seen a snake yet uh, and encountered one. Adam named all the animals, but that was before Eve was even created. And snakes had not yet earned their dark reputation yet, at least in her mind. Uh, they were just another member of the animal kingdom. When the first audience of this narrative of the book of Genesis, uh, the freed slaves um, of Israel, when they first heard this, now they did associate a snake with deceit. They had seen it all around them in, in some of the pagan religions as well. So for them who were East, Eastern thinkers who weren't worried about the scientific improbability of a talking snake, uh, the snake fit perfectly in what their image of Satan would be. So if you've had trouble with the idea of a talking snake, uh, trust the text and let the narrative speak to us, the message here that God wants us to get. So a serpent approaches Eve and Adam. You know, it, it seems from the narrative that Adam was standing there beside Eve during this whole encounter. Sometimes we see pictures of just Eve and the snake, but it, it, according to verse six, uh, clearly in chapter three, it clearly tells us that Adam was with her the whole time. So, so let's keep in mind uh, as we're as we're watching and this unfold uh, that. Adam had complete knowledge of, of what's happening uh, all along. He was standing there right beside her. The serpent, who was more crafty than any of the other wild animals, the, the text tells us, spoke to Eve. <clears throat> now, my, maybe Eve didn't know that the serpent, again, was particularly crafty, but Adam had possibly knew uh, yet he remained silent. And again, certainly the original audience of Genesis chapter 3 would have all agreed, oh yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. The serpent is indeed crafting. He's the perfect animal for Satan to possess. The serpent said to Eve, now, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees in the garden? Now, One thing to keep in mind here is that actually Eve could not say firsthand what God said about the trees. You know, she only knew what her husband Adam had told her. You know, God gave Adam the rules about the trees uh, and, and not Eve in Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. Eve had not even been created yet when God told Adam what could and couldn't be done with the trees. So right off the bat, Satan tries to confuse Eve by misrepresenting what God actually said. Did God really say that you should not eat from any of the trees in the garden? And of course, that's not what God said at all, and Satan knows it. So Eve attempts to correct the serpent. Uh, Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. No, serpent, that's not what God said at all. No, he said that we could eat from any of the trees except for the one in the middle of the garden, and we're assuming that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then she adds, not only should we not eat from it, but we must not even touch it or will die. Now, here is an indication of Eve's second-hand knowledge of what God actually said about the trees. You know, God did not tell Adam that he should not touch it. You know, only that he should not eat from it. Chapter 2, verse 17. Um, Perhaps there was a need to touch it. Maybe they needed to prune it. Maybe they needed to clean up the, the forbidden fruit when it fell to the ground and dispose of it. But God never said, don't touch it. He, said, he just said, don't eat it. Now, here's where Adam, who was standing right there, could have jumped in and said, hey, serpent, look, you have no idea what you're talking about. You're just, a crafty, you're just as crafty as you were the day I named you. Hey, sweetheart, let's get out of here. We don't need to be listening to this serpent. But that's not what Adam did. At all. In fact, Adam did and said nothing as he watched Eve deal with this crafty serpent. Now, the fact that that Eve added this extra requirement, you know, that doesn't necessarily reflect bad on her, uh, on her intelligence or her ability to understand. You know, we do that all the time uh, when we hear secondhand information, don't we? So it could very well have been. You know, Adam heard from God. God said, don't eat from this fruit or you'll surely die. And so then when Eve is created, at some point, Adam uh, went to Eve and said, oh, honey, I need to tell you this. This is important. Uh, God told me that we should not eat from the fruit of that tree or we'll die. And then he might have added, you know what? If I was you, I wouldn't even touch it. (laughs) I'll take care of cleaning up the, the rotten fruit. You don't even touch it. You know, we do that. We add to things. Uh, in addition to what we heard firsthand. Uh, and again, Adam could have jumped in and clarified things. Well, actually, honey, honey I, I added the part about don't touching it. Uh, but he didn't. He just stood there silently. So seeing that Adam uh, is taking no action to stop him and seeing that Eve seems vulnerable to his craftiness, the serpent continues verse four and five. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan plays a dirty trick on Eve. He tells her something that is partly true and something that is just an outright lie. Um, If she listens to him, she will be even better off than she is right now. That's what he's trying to tell her. The lie was, (laughs) die. No, No, you won't die. God just told you that because he doesn't want you to be like him. He's trying to scare you from trying it. And then here's the little bit of truth that he tells her. God knows that if you eat from this fruit, you will be like him, knowing good and evil. know that part was true but it it was a truth that was meant to deceive her which is the same thing as a lie you know if you tell something that's true but you twist it in a way so it ends up deceiving i'm sorry that's a lie that's a lie eve was being tempted to take something that she didn't have be like god thinking that it would make what was great, their paradise in the garden, even greater. She may not have heard the part, knowing good and evil, just the part, be like God. And even if she had heard the part, be no, you know, knowing good and evil, she probably didn't understand what that meant anyway. The part that got her attention was, you will be like God satan was successful in getting eve to focus on herself and what she wanted and what she could have rather than on what god wanted and what she already had eve already had everything that she could possibly ever want or need but when she took her eyes off of god and only thought of herself satan's deception worked Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. You know that moment when you give in to temptation to get something that you selfishly want, that you knew you shouldn't take, but you took it anyway. There's a moment when, when you wait for the satisfaction, uh, for the rush of pleasure uh, that, that, that whatever it is promises, uh, the benefit that's going to be to your flesh that Satan promised you if you would just do it. Maybe for a moment you do experience that pleasure, that satisfaction, that benefit that was promised. Look what Eve did right after she took a bite. Verse 6, she also gave some to her husband, who was there with her, and he ate it. So there's Adam standing right beside her the whole time, and it looks like he's bought into Satan's lie too. And without an argument, he takes a bite of the forbidden fruit. And for a moment, for a moment, they were waiting for the ecstasy of what it feels like to be like God. Wait for it. Wait for it. Hey, hey, we didn't die. We didn't die. This is great. Uh-oh. Then the, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You know, the first evidence that something was wrong was the fact that they realized they were naked. You know, for the first time in their lives, they felt the horrible emotion of shame. They had always been naked ever since they were created, but their nakedness had never been a problem before uh, because they had no reason to feel shame before. Something changed in their minds. A brand new feeling that they had never experienced before was suddenly at the forefront of their minds. They were ashamed of themselves. Rather than experiencing the freedom of, of being like God that Satan had promised they felt the shame of disobeying god and rather than enjoying their their this newfound knowledge that they had been promised all they wanted to do was cover themselves up and, and the problem with their nakedness wasn't modesty it was shame they feverishly tried to fashion some fig leaves to cover themselves up not just to hide uh, from each other but but from mostly to hide themselves from God who they immediately realized that they had disappointed with their disobedience interestingly the trees that had been provided to them for food was now being used to hide their shame and look what happens next verse 8 then the man and the woman Heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Now here's where we get the idea that Adam and Eve had a very, very close relationship with God. It appears that it was a regular thing for them to walk with God in the cool of the day. Just walking together, talking. Much like you and I might uh, walk around the block together in our neighborhood and just laugh and talk and look at the beautiful and comment on the, the beauty around us. That's what Adam and Eve did with God on a regular basis. But on this day, as God went to meet Adam and Eve, they weren't anywhere to be found. Rather than God meeting them in their usual place, they hid from him in the bushes. Why? Again, because they were ashamed. This brand new emotion was very unpleasantly overwhelming them. God, seeing that they weren't where they usually were, asked, hey, where are you? Where are you? Now, I think God knew exactly where they were. You know, God, he's God and he knows everything. Uh, I think God was just messing with them right here. So from behind the bushes, Adam says, I heard you in the garden and I was naked. I I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And God said to him, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Again, I think God already knows exactly what they've done, what the answer to that question is. But God gives them a chance to confess their sins. He wants to hear what they've got to say about it. And he gives them a chance to confess their sins and face the consequences. I disobeyed you. Yeah, God, I disobeyed you. And I'm sorry. But rather than just fessing up and just admitting their mistakes adam and eve began to do what we often do when we disobey god they began to shift the blame to someone else and adam starts the finger pointing the man said the woman you put here with me she gave me some fruit from the tree and i ate it (laughs) it's a woman's fault adam was right there the whole time the whole time And at any time during this encounter with Satan, he could have stood up and he could have stopped the whole thing. He could have clarified the command that God gave him. He could have set the record straight with the serpent, and both of them could have walked away completely unscathed by the whole encounter. It would have been over with. But instead, Adam stood silent. He let Eve be persuaded by the serpent. He took a bite himself, and then, not only did he blame Eve for giving him the forbidden fruit, but then he blamed God for giving him Eve. (laughs) God, it's really your fault. It's your fault. If you hadn't given me this woman, this would have never happened. And so... It's no longer bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, as Adam had said earlier. Now is, now she's the problem. And then God turns to the woman. Verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And now it's the woman's turn to either confess or shift blame. She shifts blame. Eve, the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate it. Eve blames the serpent. It's not my fault. It's his fault. It's his fault. You know, what is God's response to this shifting blame, this pointing of finger? Well, you know, it surely wasn't. Well, no wonder you guys did this. You know, I don't blame you. You know, after all, I did give you that woman, Adam, I did, Adam, I did give it to her, and, and, and Eve, that serpent, he really is a very crafty old animal. You know what? You guys just go on back to the garden and just try to forget this ever happened. There's no need to be ashamed because, like you said, it really isn't your fault. <laughs> no, that's not what God said. That wasn't his response at all. Now, it was true that Eve ate the fruit first, but her sin did not force Adam to eat uh, from the fruit and join her. He could have tried to stop her because he uh, he knew exactly what God's will was, and he could have stopped the whole thing. He didn't have to participate just because she did. And it's true that the serpent did tempt Eve and he's going to pay the price for that. But Satan did not force her to eat the fruit. She chose to believe his lies, and she made the choice to eat the fruit, allowing her uh, to, to, to grasp this lie that she could be like God. Sin is a choice that all of us make. Blame for it cannot be shifted to someone else or to some circumstance that we find ourselves in. You know, it's, sin is always a choice that we make in our lives. And no matter the temptation of Satan or of someone else in our life or of the circumstance that we find ourselves in, God never accepts sin in our lives. Never. He never says, oh, it's not your fault. You had no choice. Let's just forget that it ever happened. You know, I was watching my computer and that page just popped up, that porn page, and I couldn't help it. I had to click on it. <laughs> you know, we have to live together. Uh, we can't afford to live apart. I had to lie. If I didn't, I would have been in big trouble. I fell in love with her. Yeah, even though I'm already married to someone else, I'm just not happy in my marriage. She makes me feel complete. You can't ignore true love, can you? Now, it's true. God understands our weaknesses, and we all have them. And that's why he gave us Jesus, uh, because we can't overcome our weaknesses. But he never excuses sin. Sin. God is never okay with it when we choose to sin. He can't be okay with it because sin is the opposite of everything that God is. As Steve Haggerty uh, often says, God is good. He's always good. Always. He cannot be bad, He cannot sin. He is truly holy. And not in an arrogant way. No, he just is holy. That's who and what God is. He is holy. And when we sin, we are not holy. God and sin cannot be together. And when we choose to sin, the consequence of that sin is separation from God. Not because he doesn't love us and not because he does, doesn't want to be with us, but because he is holy, and as a sinner, we are not. So Adam and Eve now face the consequences of their choice to sin. And we read those consequences in chapter three, verse 14 through 19. Let me just give you a brief summary of the consequences. God cursed the snake." You know, the snake uh, had, uh, Satan had a a role to play in this this sin and all sins, and so God cursed the snake, poor snake, you know, he's just being possessed by Satan, but he had to face the consequences. His curse was to crawl on, on his belly and eat the dust of the ground. To Eve, her punishment was severe pain in childbirth. Now, many think there probably was still pain, but But the emphasis is severe pain in childbirth. To Adam, his punishment would be he'd have to work really, really hard to survive. No longer would food just be given to you freely. No, now you've got to either work for it or you die. Both of them were banished from the beautiful garden that was was meant to bless them. They could no longer be in that garden and eat the fruit From the tree of life. Which meant that now they would die. Now they would die. They didn't die immediately when they ate the fruit. But they eventually did die. And just like that. Life was pretty tough. For Adam and Eve. It never had been before. But now it was. All because they chose to disobey God. Now, even though we might say, and they might say, you know, there's good reasons, though. There's good reasons for my mistake. There is no excuse for it. There's no excuse for it. The damage was done. The consequences must be faced. And ever since then, mankind has faced the same choices and the same consequences. You know, our choice to disobey God today separates us from God outside of his holiness, we face the same consequences they did. A difficult life and ultimately eternal separation from God. But, thankfully there's a but here. Many see hope, even in this passage, even in this scripture here, in this story. Let's look at verse 15. And I will put enmity, and this is God saying, I will put enmity enmity between you and you, is the snake. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring, the snake's offspring, and hers. He will crush your head, snake, and you will strike his heel. You know, eventually... One of Eve's offspring will crush the head of the serpent or the snake. When you crush somebody's head, they're dead. And that offspring would be Jesus. Now, it's debatable as to whether this was truly a prophecy of Jesus. Don't know if the Israelites would have seen it that way. But we as Christians can see it clearly. As Christians, we know that God loved us so much that even though we continue to choose to eat the forbidden fruit of sin in our lives, he was willing to give us a remedy uh, to our sinful choices. And this remedy would indeed crush the head, kill Satan. Ruminating his power is useless. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, Paul wrote this, but God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And when Christ died on the cross, he crushed the head of Satan. God had to separate himself from us because of our sin. He had no choice, but he was not willing to keep it that way. He loved us so much that he was willing to offer himself as a sacrifice to pay the penalty for our sin so that you and I wouldn't have to pay that penalty. And with the penalty paid, death, Jesus paid that penalty on the cross, we can then be forgiven and be reconciled with God. All we have to do is place our faith and our trust to make Jesus the Lord of our life, our Savior. He's the one who paid the penalty for us, and we just have to put our faith and trust in Him as our Savior. Genesis 3 is a tragic story that that all of us have to face. But we know that that was not the end of the story. We know that God fixed it. He fixed it. His love for us, that's, that's got to be the motivation uh, that, that, that we seek to serve Him. Our motivation shouldn't be fear, uh, fear of hell or fear of dying. Uh, our motivation should be God's love for us, what he, what he was willing to do to fix it, to understand how God feels about sin, how much He hates it. And while we can never do it perfectly, we can use the power of the Holy Spirit that every Christian receives uh, when he accepts Christ. And, and, and with his power, we can choose to not take the forbidden fruit of sin. We can rid sin from our lives, and we can live our life each day for Christ. Let's let the love of God motivate us to do that. When we live for Christ, we know that life on earth still won't be perfect. Perfect. But in Christ, we have this promise that we find in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 7. Whoever has ears, let, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Wow. What a wonderful blessing we have to look forward to. Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. They could no longer eat from the fruit of the, the, the tree of life. But we have been promised that if we accept Jesus as our Savior, one day we can eat from it again. This time in the presence of God in heaven. And so if you're here today, and if you're watching on Facebook, uh, let me just address a couple of a couple of different people. If you're here today and you uh, are someone who understands that sin is hated by God and not excused by God and separates you from God, uh, and you believe that Jesus paid the penalty for you on the cross, but you've never accepted him as your Savior yet, um, I just urge you right now uh, to to take the necessary steps uh, to have What Jesus did on the cross count for you. And that's when you put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God, here's what you need to do. Uh, You need to take the next step. And the next step is to be baptized. Uh, As we find in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, that's the time and the place when the forgiveness happens, when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I would, I would urge you, if you've not taken that next step, give me a call this week. Uh, let's, let's work out a time. Our baptistry's full right now. And uh, you could come out here with a, just a couple of people or just by yourself. And we, we, can, we can have a baptismal service and we can take care of this. And you can have that wonderful promise of eating from the tree of life in heaven. Um, so we pray that you'll take that next step. Uh, and accept jesus as your savior for the rest of us uh if if you are a follower of jesus and you have been forgiven of your sin let's all understand this god hates sin just as much if not more when we as christians sin than he than he did before we were sinners before we were christians because we know better now and every time we sin we slap god in the face we, we, we slap God in the face as he's given his life for us, and yet we still flaunt our sin in front of him. So let's, let's use the power of the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters in Christ, to keep sin out of our life because God hates it. He died for it. Let's live our lives for him in all that we do. With the power of the Spirit, we can do it. So praise God. You know, it was a tragic story, chapter 3 in Genesis, but praise God the fixes in. And Jesus is that fix. We can call on him uh, and look forward to the tree of life, that wonderful fruit one day in heaven. And in the meantime, the blessings of being able to walk in Christ. Lord, I thank you so much for uh, the opportunity we had this morning to, to revisit, uh, or maybe some for the first time visit, the, the chapter in the Bible that describes the tragic fall of mankind Uh, father uh, we are just like adam and eve we make those same bad choices too and we face the same consequences as they did Uh, but uh, we have the remedy jesus christ and so i pray that all of us will think about our lives and think about the choices we make understand how much you hate sin and uh, lord if there's somebody out there who's never accepted christ i pray they will take the steps necessary uh, this week, today, to make that happen, Uh, and then for the rest of us, that we'll we'll understand that we need to use the power of the Holy Spirit to keep sin out of our lives uh, because of your love for us. So, uh, Father, I pray for a great week for all of us. Uh, Thank you again so much for your son, Jesus, and we ask all this in his name, amen.